Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and Sean is nice enough to come on the podcast about once a week here to sit down and talk about what's going on. And Sean, you've been on here for almost uh, almost three years now, and I tell you, there's we've not had a lack of things to talk about, and today's no different. How you doing this morning, man? I'm doing great. Uh, you know, a little uh, a little on the chilly side, 41 degrees here in Florida. I got my winter shirt on, so uh, I see that. You know, I'm 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 strong and you know, long and strong. So I don't know if you're in Vail, Colorado, or Boca Raton, Florida, right now. <laughs> Way you dress, crazy. Well, I was I was thinking the only mountains we have here in Florida are the are the big trash uh, trash piles uh-huh. that we have. So uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it might go skiing down, um, you know, Kilimanjaro. So <laughs> you might you might have a shot at that. <laughs> Sounds like it. <clears throat> All right, let's talk about a couple things here. So there is, I've been watching cotton lately, and there's not a lot of news typically about cotton, but as you take a look at what's going on in the cotton market, there's some pretty interesting developments that are going on there that are driving that market. So talk about cotton a little bit and kind of what are, what's driving that marketplace right now. Um, there's a big push with where's your food come from? Where does your energy come from? Where do your products come from? And in that vein, the EU and the U.S. have decided that they want to punish the Chinese for their child labor-grown cotton. So what that means is that they're not willing to accept cotton that's used uh, from China production, which, is, which they use child labor to do. Um, because of that, the Chinese are forced to buy U.S. cotton to buy that cotton, to ship it back to China, make the clothing, and then ship it back to the U.S. and back to the EU. Uh, so, so this policy, unless it changes, means that there's endless demand for U.S. cotton at a time that U.S. cotton acres are under pressure this coming growing season because corn and soybean prices are up so much. So that is, uh, it's never, you know, we've never had this kind of a, what I call forced demand in, before, and it's overriding the economic factors that would normally uh, be driving the cotton market. It looks to us, Casey, you know, we, we might be heading into the low 90 cent range based upon demand and some worries about you know, the growing season coming up, we think we go in the 90 cents before maybe, you know, we reach a high point for a while. But uh, it's just an incredible, steady, methodical market up because of that steady demand week after week after week. Yep. Yeah, it's, I've been watching it here, you know, and we've got a, we got a commodity ticker that comes across the screen. And 
there for the longest time, cotton was just uh, down, 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 down with, with everything that we see with the economy and, and the COVID situation. And, and then here of late, it's just been creeping back up, just steadily just climbing. Nothing, not like rocket ship or anything like that, but just like a real steady climb. So interesting to watch that market and see how that takes place. The next thing I want to talk about um, when it comes to the rice market, again, something we, we talked about here before, but we don't really spend a lot of time in it. But because of some, and I kind of forgot about this, but because of last winters and last summers uh, rain uh, issues they had in Southeast Asia and China and in those kind of areas, India, one of the world's largest rice producers and exporters anyway, is uh, talking about how they're going to have to step up their exports because so many of the of the larger exporters out there are, you know, half the crop didn't make it or. They just don't have the stocks to, to ship out. So talk about the rice market a little bit and what you see happening there. Typically, your largest exporters are Vietnam uh, and Thailand. You know, they tend to be they're, you know, very, very big exporters. And they're both, you know, had terrible crops last year. Um, and as such, the exports from Thailand is down, are going to be down in half. In Vietnam, you know, they're actually buying rice from India for the first time, I think, in 25 years because – you know, they don't have enough rice, the kind of rice that they want, they need for their own population. China, of course, you know, uh, they claim everything's good, but we know it's not, you know. Uh, and so what China has been quietly doing is they've been reducing their exports of rice and they've been starting to pick up the pace of it. In fact, they've been buying from India for the first time in 25 years. China's been buying from India. It's almost unheard of for that to happen. And so, you know, the Western Hemisphere, which is the U.S. rice, and the South American rice, you know, we have really, really tight supplies. So the only place where there's actual available supplies that can, you know, that can be bumped up a little bit to meet this shortage is, is India. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, you know, some will view it bearishly. It's actually quite frankly, it's needed. And, uh, and uh, you know, if they were not to, to sell that rice, you know, we would have a big problem on our hands. So, so overall, you know, that's going to keep the market, um, from running away uh, into a scarcity, but at the same time, Asian rice prices for the first time since 2007 are, are rising pretty rapidly, despite it all. So, uh, you know, rice is a is a go to food commodity. Everyone in the world relies on it, and if everyone's worried about food security, I don't see the demand for rice going away. And I think every ounce that they're willing to sell will be bought aggressively by buyers elsewhere. So, okay, so rice and wheat have a have a a very good correlating relationship with each other. As you take a look at what's going on in the wheat market, as we see some very strong wheat prices and, and lots of volatility in that market, it'll be up 20 cents one day and down 25 the next, and it's all over the place in between. How, how is that relationship going to work with, with rice and wheat now? Well, anytime uh, you know wheat goes up too much, demand shifts for rice. Every time rice goes up too much, shifts for wheat. So they, they're kind of a balancing factor and they kind of, you know, step up together. So we had a big move in wheat and now the rice market's starting to take off. And so that's part of how the, uh, the yin and the yang takes place between wheat and rice. You know, they, the one moves the other because it's, it's a sort of a substitutable key ag product that the world relies upon, you know? Yep. All right. So let's jump over and talk about the black sea region right now. There are lots of, lots of issues over there with, uh, with drought in those situations, Ukraine wheat export uh, to date's continued to signal its export cap won't be tested. It's a headline off of uh, Pro Farmer this morning. 
Um, I guess talk about that a little bit here because you, you hear Russia saying we're we're not really going to export any more than we have to. Um, we're kind of going to stop doing that. We're going to export it, but if you want it, we're going to you're going to pay for it. Yeah, but just across the across the Black Sea over in Ukraine, um, they're saying, "Hey, man, gum drops or candy canes? How much do you want?" And it's I guess we'll talk about that a little bit. And that that dichotomy in the area that has kind of equal growing conditions. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Russia's Russia. You know, they're and, and Ukraine, uh, you know, is ruled a little bit differently. Uh, the Russians have just decided that they are they're looking out ahead and they want to keep food security as a strategic reserve, and and so they're holding back, as you said, the wheat with these export taxes that they're putting on. The Ukraine had a terrible, terrible corn crop last year, as I'm sure you know, and you know, they just don't have it to export. They just don't have it, um, and so you know, they, so they put these export quotas so that they wouldn't lose too much, and they're not even selling even the as you said even the quotas because you know, they don't have enough supply. If you look at your Europe, EU grain stocks are at the low stocks to usage are at the lowest level in 35 years. Their wheat and corn combined EU stocks to usage lowest in 35 years. So what does all that mean for wheat? It means if the Russians are, don't want to sell, Ukraine doesn't really have it to sell. The EU doesn't really have it to sell. Only the US has wheat to sell. And actually, we are the cheapest wheat price in the world right now, which is highly unusual. Usually, the U.S. trades at a premium to the Ukraine and the Black Sea region. We're actually trading at the discount. So it means we're going to have a lot of export business for U.S. wheat in this condition. And if we're even half right, Casey, about problems with the winter wheat crop this spring with hot, dry weather coming in for the U.S., for Russia, um, and those crops are you know coming way, way down from last year, yeah, we, we have a really we have a serious shortage for the wheat market heading into the you know to the spring summer. And I think that the Russians are understanding what's coming and they're getting ahead of the curve and not waiting for that to happen. They have been drunken sailors wanting to sell wheat for year after year. They can't wait to sell wheat. And all of a sudden they just they don't want to sell wheat anymore because they know it's coming. They know it's coming. Yeah. And so uh so uh, you know, right. It's really an explosive situation, and and we just think it's a tinderbox waiting to happen as we get into uh, get into the springtime. Right now, there's a pretty significant winter kill threat um, for Casey winter wheat here in the U.S. between this coming weekend and next. We'll have to see if, you know how that all plays out with snow cover and exactly where it is, but it's going to be a a serious polar vortex coming in that uh, could clip the U.S. crop. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We already had it in uh ukraine russia we already had one in in china so now we're seeing if 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 you know the u.s winter wheat crop could get clipped with winter kill so lots of moving pieces right now in the winter wheat market yeah a million things going on right now so you kind of hit on it earlier um <clears throat> you talk to people <clears throat> excuse me you talk to uh uh i'm sorry you read articles and stuff and you in china's talking about how good everything is and don't worry about it. Things are great. Yet, no matter what the price of soybeans are, they can't seem to buy enough of them. Um, especially, I mean, we saw something yesterday where they they bought a whole big shipment full of, of soybeans, so and corn for that matter. So, some serious signals are being sent that you know, do as I say, not as I do, type of thing. As you take a look at that, those exports, especially today being Thursday, and the export uh, report comes out. What are your thoughts on? Chinese demand and, and 
Um, do you do you really feel like that that's going to keep feeding the bull here? Well, just as another anecdotal piece of evidence, uh, you know, the uh, South America's getting ready to get ready to ship some some exports, right? So, right now, the number of ships that are uh, waiting to be loaded and that are on their way to be loaded is at an all-time high, all headed for China for South American soybean and corn exports. And that's, and that's after they've already bought as much as they possibly humanly can from the United States. But everything's fine. Everything's good over there. They don't need any, They don't really need all this. They're just doing it because they want to help the Brazilians and help us, help us out. I guess what I'm getting at is the kind of purchases they're making, Casey, are so extreme that that's not being done uh, because of a trade agreement or they really have a problem. I mean, they re- they are real. That's that that's panic buying. We call that panic buying. That panic buying means that they have a shortage, and they're seriously, seriously. I think they see the same thing the Russians do. They're looking out ahead and saying, "My gosh, we could have you know a real problem here going forward into the summer season. We better get as much of this stuff while we can in onto our borders before it all hits the fan, and we may not be able to buy you know what we want. Or if we can, it's going to be at a considerably higher price. So we don't see." This demand going away. In fact, we see it accelerating, especially if weather problems develop in the northern hemisphere growing season like we expect. I think they'll actually pick up the pace and buy even more than we think they're going to buy. Yeah, it's uh they haven't shown any signs that they're 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 up open to letting off. And they even bought eth- and they even bought ethanol, more ethanol yeah, I saw that in one there. month yeah. than they yeah. bought an entire year from us. And what does that mean? They're buying corn. Because yeah. if they when they buy ethanol, and, they, and that means U.S. produces more ethanol. What does it mean? More DDGs, and they love buying DDGs, which is a you know is a, is a derivative of corn feed. So they just anything that's got corn attached to it, ethanol, DDGs, sorghum. Record purchase of sorghum the other day. They're just buying it all, buying it all. Yep. Whatever they can buy, they're going to buy. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about the Brazilian corn crop real quick. We'll wrap this up. Um, the U.S. attache in Brazil now expects the country to produce 105 million metric tons of corn uh, in 20, 2021, uh, a 2 million metric ton drop from the previous forecast. Talk about that a little bit. How you see that's a as they come into this next corn crop that's getting ready to plant. What's your thoughts there? I mean, it just seems like the world can't get caught up from the supply the, uh, the supplies that it's short. It just seems like there's no. It's keep spinning its wheels on trying to get caught back up. I mean, that's what we're, we're, you know, it's trying to, it's trying to climb a greasy pole. You just can't make any headway, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the big issue is the big, big crop is the second crop, which they're planting or they're trying, they're trying, we're going to plant right now. It's three to four, they're going to be planting corn three to four weeks later than normal because soybeans were planted late. And now they're getting rains in soybeans. So the harvest for soybeans are being delayed. They're going to be three to four weeks late. So think about, you know, uh, so that means uh, from a seasonal perspective, the way the rainfall pattern in Brazil works is January is a very high rain month. February is a very high rain month. And then it falls rapidly into March, rapidly into April, you know, and it, it, just, it just falls off a cliff. That's just the, the seasonal nature of their rainfall pattern. So if you delay this by a month, Casey, you're pushing pollination into May and you know, and that means you're going to be having corn pollinate during a seasonal, very, very dry 
period versus more of the of the April to March where, where you typically could get some some okay rainfall. And that puts the second crop, the big crop, the exportable crop at huge risk for yield declines because you're pushing it out into the wrong time of the year to catch moisture for pollination. And so we're very concerned that not only are the acres potentially going to be lower because of the late planting, but that the yields are just going to really, it's, it's, it's going to really be a, a, a struggle for them to make any kind of yields that they've been accustomed to making. And that means their exportable supplies are going to be significantly down at a time that the Chinese want, as we just said, every, every bushel of corn to get their hands on. So we're not going to catch up. The bottom line is our view is we're not going to catch up in South America. We're, we're going to stay behind. And then we're going to have a very, very difficult growing season in the U.S. So it's, it's, um, it's a phase transition higher. We've been talking about this, Casey, for quite a while, that we're in one of these. And so there could be corrections along the way, and speculators could do all kinds of crazy things on a short-term basis. But the trend is up, certainly into the summer growing season before you know we might uh, have some kind of a blow-off top or some kind of a weather-related blow-off top where maybe we, we price the market out for a while. But uh, we, we clearly don't believe we're there yet. Just don't see us being there yet. Yeah, it looks. I mean, everything is stacking up to be, uh, especially here in the U.S. That there's a the drought monitor. I mean, I know the Midwest got got a pretty big blanket of snow. Uh, you know, measured in feet, went through there last week. But still, it's a, they have a lot of catch up to do in, in a lot of the really key growing uh, parts of the uh, uh, the largest producing parts of the corn belt. Anyway, just just, just remember, snowfall <laughs> takes 13 inches of snow for one inch of rain. So they got about an inch. And, and you know what happens with snow melt. It not you know because the ground's kind of frozen, it just runs off. So it, it's not like that inch goes into the ground like it would in the spring or the summer. So it's it's helpful. Don't get me wrong, but it's not going to overcome a massive, massive uh, deficit that we're under. It it just it just kind of kicks the can down just a little bit, but not much. Not much. Yep. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what Hackett Financial can do for them and their operation. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, sample reports, interviews, all kinds of things to see if what we do might be a value to your listeners. Absolutely. Go on there and read some of those sample reports, guys, um, at Hackett Financial um, on their website there. that I, I'm on his mailing list, so he sends them to me and, and they're the information that you get there, some of the sample podcasts and stuff that are up there that he puts out are, are awesome. So make sure you guys check that out. So I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast and also the Moving Iron blog whenever I get around to writing one of those and putting one out. Um, and also check out um, movingironllc.com. That's where you find all the information that relates back to this podcast, the blogs I write, as well as the Moving Iron Summit. That is coming up in September 15th through the 17th. Sean's going to be a speaker at that. Um, Sean's been a speaker there before and talked about some stuff. But this year, yeah, I think it's going to be a real interesting year, Sean, when it comes to that because we're, we're kind of leading into that. That, that door is going to be open to all the all the stuff we've been talking about on here. So I got what are your thoughts about, about that time frame and how that, that speech of yours is going to kind of relate to all that? Well, what we're really going to focus on is the, the winner. Uh, of that coming winter, which we believe is going to be epic in nature, not only from how long it's going to be, but the extreme cold that we're going to see and the extreme uh, snowfall that we're going to see. I mean, it's going to be a, a wild, wild winter, and it's going to cause all kinds of problems with cattle, with getting uh, 
propane supplies from A to B, from getting feed from A to B. I mean, the logistical issues that we saw a couple of years back when we had that pretty rough polar vortex winter is, is going to be a cakewalk compared to what we're seeing. And what we're really worried about is a very, very, very late end to the winter and some frost risks, late planting season frost risks that could just create all kinds of problems. Once again, talking about we seem, can't seem to catch up. We may not be able to catch up next year either if our forecast is half right. So, so this, uh, your 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 uh, summit and this talk would be is is right in front of this major weather event. And hopefully, you know the people that come or the people that watch the uh, your summit will will walk away with some actionable things they can do to, to mitigate some of these risks as much as possible. Yeah, it's going to be a, a very timely presentation. Um, yeah. In some parts of the country, we could already see some of the stuff starting to take place by that time. So yeah. it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting to kind of get that reflection point uh, yeah. during that that time frame. So yeah, well, good deal. Well, um, make sure you go out and check my out my good friends over there at the Dryland Farm Podcast, Brent and Landon over there. Make sure you check out their podcasts. Good, it's a good bit of of funny there that'll keep you going throughout the day. So. With that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher